KYW Original Podcasts. This is the Philly Soccer Show on KYW News Radio's Greg Orlandini with Mike Cervetio from the Philly Soccer Page. This week, the voice of the union, J.P. Delacamera, is our guest. We not only talk about the union, but the Women's World Cup as well. We have J.P. Delacamera on with us. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on. We're going to talk union soon, but we got to talk about the Women's World Cup where you, you, know, you were out in France watching the U.S. Uh, end up on top again. Yeah, it was a great tournament. Guys uh, had a great ending, obviously, with the U.S. winning it. I thought it was the most competitive Women's World Cup that we've ever had. I think the U.S., everyone's going to remember at the end that they won, and they won the final uh, sort of convincingly, I would say. I don't think that game was ever really in jeopardy, but they may forget um, years from now that it was a tough struggle in those knockout rounds, starting with the game against Spain. There were three games that ended up 2-1. to one. That England game could have ended up differently had Alyssa Nair not stopped the penalty kick. Uh, all in all, fantastic tournament. Uh, USA-France was, was the best game with the best atmosphere. We were calling it the final before the final. And that was the only game that I felt that the USA could have been in trouble. I picked them to win the World Cup uh, with an asterisk beside it, knowing that if that game did turn out to happen, that quarterfinal matchup with France, that it could go either way. But in this case, it went the USA's way. Had France won that game, who knows? They might have been the World Cup champs. You mentioned that this was the most competitive tournament that, that you've seen. Um, and it, it certainly seemed like for a while uh, in the last decade that some of the rest of the world was catching up to to where the USA was. Um, and it seemed like the USA was able to even take that another step forward in this tournament. Because, I, I, you know, I watched a lot of the games uh, not in, uh, from the group stage all the way through the, the end. And it felt like there were more competitive teams just overall. Do, do you think that the the rest of the world has has kind of caught on to this i do and and somebody said the other day to me when when the world cup ended they said i guess we'll be the favorites again in 2023 and i said hold on i said not so fast first (laughs) of all the rest of the world is catching up that's one and two we had a dozen players that were 30 years of age or older in that last world cup so if you take it that way then that means that Anybody that's 30 is now going to be 34, and you know some of your key players like Rapino is going to be closer to 38. You know, same with Sauerbrunn, Carly Lloyd. I never count her out, but she would be over 40. You know, by the next World Cup, so uh, we may not be the favorites the next time around because yes, the rest of the world is catching up. I thought this group of women were maybe more determined than any other group because when you think about it, look at some of the things that they were up against at this World Cup that maybe they weren't up against in 2015. First of all, um, even though, yes, there was a home field advantage when the U.S. played, it wasn't like in Canada where it was a clear home field advantage. And in the game against France, they didn't have that. Then you add to the fact all the pressure on this team. You add the lawsuits that are flying back and forth between this team and U.S. soccer, and yet they were still very focused. You had a bit of a Twitter war going on between Rapino and our president. Uh, it, all of that stuff. I mean, these women were so, so focused. And maybe we don't talk as much about the focus of this team as we talk about some of the rest of the results that they got. Did you, did you feel like at any point any of that became a little bit distracting? No, I think because they were so focused, right? Because, 
uh, people asked me before the tournament started, would, would um, you know, the lawsuits against U.S. soccer come into play at all? And I thought, no, th- these women are too strong to let any of that deter them. I-, I think the same thing with the Twitter. I think that, you know, a lesser team, that would have been a distraction. You know, from what we could tell from our interactions with the coaches, with the PR staff, with the players that we spoke to, it was business as usual. They are able to uh, focus on a singular topic once they hit the field. That's to their credit. So you were talking about some players who might not be there in the next World Cup. One person who will definitely not be there is Jill Ellis, who, you know, you want to talk about going on on top. She's definitely doing it. Uh, but how much does that change what the women's team is going to do going forward. I mean, it's tough to say because, you know, there's candidates being kicked around, but there's nobody coming in to replace her. But, you know, how much of a change do you, do you see happening with the women's team with Ellis well, leaving? Well, credit to Jill, first of all. Uh, only one person in the history of soccer has ever won two World Cups, and it was an Italian coach in the 30s, as I remember. I mean, it's hard to do, right? So congrats to her for doing that. Um I think the women's game is the same as the men in the sense that very few people get more than two cycles as a head coach. So I think if Jill was going to step aside, this is the time, because I do think that this team, I don't want to say the word rebuild, because uh, I'm not sure we've ever used that term with the U.S. women. But if you think about it, you know, of of those um, players that I told you were over the age of or 30 or over, how many of them realistically could be starting or making a big contribution in four years' time? I mean, maybe Alex Morgan, right? Um, when you look at players like Tobin Heath, and I'm not selling any of them short. I think they're all terrific. But like a Tobin Heath, the way she plays, how hard she plays, yeah. the, the toll that it has taken on her body and Kelly O'Hara's, could they play? at the age of 34, at that level, or, or will somebody possibly beat them out, or will they you know, walk away on their own? You know, it's a big, big commitment. So I think that in 2023, uh, you'll see a big change with this team. You won't see it next year except for the fact that the roster goes from 23 to 18. So whoever coaches this Olympic team, I don't think you're going to see anyone new coming in. I mean, Maybe it depends on who the coach is, right? But if Jill Ellis stayed there, I think you're looking at who are the five cuts going to be. One would have been a goalkeeper, but then four other players would have to go. There would have to be more players going if she brought in someone else, like an Andy Sullivan, let's say, Mm -hmm. who was maybe one of the the last cuts, or maybe some other players that, that didn't make the grade this last time around. So I think that this is a good time to bring in a new coach for the next cycle because they'll start with a clean slate. And I would hope to see younger players brought in. Who's the next Alex Morgan? Is there another Mallory Pugh out there? Is there another Rose LaBelle out there? I think we're going to find out once the Olympics are over because then that coach has a four-year cycle to weave his or her magic. I think that that would be my follow-up question to you, too, is, you know, I think obviously Rose LaBelle is one of the most promising younger players on that squad. Who else were you impressed with in this tournament from the younger group? Um, well, she didn't get as much playing time as maybe I would have liked, but I've always been a big Mallory Pugh fan. I think she's terrific. I think that her upside is every bit as much as Rose LaBelle's. 
upside. I mean, those are the two players. I think a Lindsey Horan, um, still a very young player, um, did well. I thought Sam Mewis did pretty well in his tournament. I don't know what you consider, you know, a young player, but but somebody under 30. Um, I'm just trying to think back to to that particular tournament. I thought Abby Dahlkamper had a pretty good run, had a pretty good tournament. Crystal Dunn, uh, will she be a left back come the next World Cup? My guess is no. I think they'll try to find another left back, and maybe she goes forward. And maybe she goes forward because we lose other players. But we'll see. You know, the next Olympics, I think, I think it'll be a very recognizable team, no matter who's coaching in the next Olympics, minus, of course, like we said, five players would have to be cut. So I don't think you'll see many changes for the Olympics, but you'll see a bunch, including a coach, in 2023. Looking outside the U.S., do you think this was just the popularity of this tournament and just how well it was played and how well it was received th- this year? Do you think that was a little bit of a wake-up call to some of the some of the nations like like Argentina, or Brazil? You know, you just look at what Marta did in her speech at the end, and kind of was like this call to action for yeah. you know player young players to step up and kind of fill fill her shoes and some of the other players' yeah. shoes and. You know, in Argentina, you know, we heard, you know, I'll say this charitably, they they treated their women's team as as an afterthought, and it was probably a little worse right. than that. But the fact that the popularity of the women's games going up, this tournament particularly was, you know, like you said, it was a great tournament to watch, and it was popular and just connected with so many people. Do you think this is finally some of these nations that have been kind of ignoring their women's programs, yeah. they're going to start waking up? I'm going to say that I hope it's a wake-up call. Um, While I don't agree with the president of FIFA immediately getting 32 teams into the next Mm, World Cup, um, I I think it's too quick. Uh, But having said that, uh, I do think that it's a wake-up call for a lot of other nations. I, I think they see, not only if they want to compete, but they can see that you could actually make money. It's all about money with FIFA, right? And And with these foreign federations, money talks, right? So if Brazil looks at those TV ratings and says, hey, we could make money here, they'll do it. It shouldn't be for that reason, right? It should be to help the women's game, to help right. them grow, you know, to treat them as equal to the men as they possibly can. That's the real reason why they should be doing it. But that won't happen. Uh, if that was the case, it would have happened a long time ago. Uh, just from a, a decency standpoint and a moral standpoint, um, it's shameful what the Argentina women had to go yeah, through. Yeah. I, I don't want to um, bring up old stories from what we heard during the World Cup, but their conditions were not good, not suiting a national team, not suiting a club team. Um, you know, I think we treated, I have an amateur team in Connecticut that I'm a, a managing director of, and we treat our women far better than the way the Argentina women were treated. At least our girls had all new uniforms. That's more than I can say. <laughs> for what Argentina had to go through. Well, we've seen a little bit of a bump in NWSL attendance since the, the World Cup. And, you know, I think back over the last decade or so, I mean, I, I started out in Philadelphia covering the independence in the WPS. And it was a discussion after the 2011 World Cup of how do they leverage the Women's World Cup into better domestic attendance. Do you think that the NWSL has more of a, a grasp on, on how to build from the Women's World Cup now? Um, I don't think they as a league have that grasp. I think some individual teams 
yeah. have that grasp. Um, um, I think NWSL could be doing a much better job. I, I don't know why. I know that there are some teams that would like to come in, and for whatever reason, uh, they have not been allowed in. I, I think that they could do some other things to increase the visibility. I think getting getting on ESPN was a plus. Getting Budweiser as a sponsor was a plus. Now they need to get others to join this big party. But I, I can't say that the league as a whole has a grasp on it, but I, I can say that from what I've seen, some individual teams like the Chicago Red Stars mm-hmm. certainly have a hold on it. it. It's always tough, guys. It's like, um, you know, when you bring in a new coach, right, there's always a coach bump, right? right? And then at some point, that tends to wear off, and then you see what, what the team really is made of. And I think in this case, we saw a bump after 2015. Now we need to see a, a bigger bump because stuff like the Women's World Cup or even the Men's World Cup, you know, it becomes old news after a while. You know, there's only a certain shelf life for these stories, right? And, and the stories continue to grow and grow bigger if we see that bump, right? If we see NWSL goes and, and doubles their attendance, then I think we're on to something. But if, if after the next three or four games, uh, some of the people that were selling out are no longer selling out, or there's a lot more empty seats like there were before the World Cup, then I think you lose some of that momentum, and then it's tough to, to get that back. It's only a, a small window, unfortunately. So I think uh, we could shift gears now uh, from the World Cup to uh, your other job, that is uh, calling Philadelphia Union games, and it's... Uh, been a heck of a season so far. I, I mean, if you could have uh, told Union fans, Jim Curtin and players, that at this point in the season you'd be in first place, I, I think everyone would have said, absolutely, we'll take that. I mean, uh, a recent skid notwithstanding, I mean, it's been a very good year. It's been their best start in club history. They played entertaining. They're scoring goals. I mean, last week, um, I think they were second to the LA LAFC in terms of goals scored, and yet... Uh, no one on the team is in double digits, so I think all in all, a terrific year for the what, union. And you, you know, you were the longest tenured member of the Philadelphia Union. Uh, what, what's the biggest difference you see this year as opposed to last year, or even you know, a couple other the playoff years, or you know, kind of the kind of the less good years that the yeah, teams kind of I struggled think the through. Difference. Um, I think Ernie Stewart did a good job when he was here, but I think Ernst Tanner has done an even better job. He's taken some of the good things that Ernie had, and then he's done his own thing. I think that if you're looking at the difference between last year and this year, I think uh, one of the things was the formation change. I I never thought that we were, uh, not we, but I never thought that the team was a um, 4-2-3-1 that they played last year. You know, I I didn't think it was a one-striker team. I think in a 4-4-2 with a diamond, it is, help this team achieve some results early. But I also think Ernst Tanner's acquisitions have been phenomenal. I mean, when you think about who has come in here, he brings in Kai Wagner that no one ever heard of, really from the German second division. He brought in Shabilko last year, again, someone that no one has ever heard of. He brings in Jamiro Montero. Has anybody ever heard of him? Right. Uh, The only guy he brought in that everybody knew about was Marco Fabian, and Marco's missed more games really, than he's played in. Uh, He's helped the team when he's played. But if you had told me before the season started that they would be in first place, I would have thought, 
okay, that must mean that Marco's having a phenomenal year. It must mean that, you know, Fafa Pico is scoring goals uh, like he did last year. It must mean that Andre Blake's goals against average is very low and that the team defense is fantastic. And none of those things are really happening, right? So uh, all the acquisitions have really helped out this team, the 4-4-2 and getting results early, uh, the confidence. I think this team has a very, from what I can observe, a very good chemistry in terms of playing for one another. Uh, I think they play hard, have always played hard for Jim Curtin. It was nice to see him get rewarded with that contract extension. Uh, all in all, the team plays hard, and with the exception of this last skid where they've, where they've given up multiple goals in these road games, with the exception of that, they were a tough team to play against, and especially on the defensive side. So some things have gone wrong defensively. I, I, I point out to Montero not being there. He's not played in the last four games. They've only won one of those four, lost two, had a draw, scored four, given up ten. I, I think he's their unsung hero. I don't think he's their MVP, but I think he is the guy that they can ill afford to replace. They don't have a replacement for a guy that plays the way Montero does on both sides of the ball. I mean, that was going to be my next question was, was about Montero's absence. And I, I think the, the clear thing that's been missing while he's been out of the lineup is that little bit of bite in the midfield. Agreed. Yep. I mean, he's, he is our Diego Chara, yep. but with better offensive upside. Uh, he was the first link. He could take players on in the dribble if he had to. He could make that first pass to somebody that puts him in a better position. But I think overall, too, he made our back four yep. better. I mean, he was breaking up plays before it ever got to them. I, I think it's been more, uh, more of this team being under siege than they have at any time during the year. And, mm-hmm. and there were times this year when he was not playing Montero where you would say, wow, they had five guys back there but still couldn't break it up. Whereas if Montero was there, it wouldn't have even gotten to that stage. I mean, it's no surprise to me the goals that they're conceding without him there, giving up a goal in the first four minutes of a game last week, giving up a goal in the first minute right after halftime. That bite was missing, and I I think he's going to be back for this weekend, um, unless something goes wrong in training, but I, I'd be surprised if he started in yeah. that game. I mean, today is what Thursday as we do this show. Yep. Um, if he had a very good training session on Thursday and Friday, then I guess there's always a chance. But I think it's just a hope that he's available for the game and, and maybe even on a limited basis. But it's good that he's at least training with the team. Yeah, for even just for I think the mentality of the team to have him back because they do, like you said, they do lean on him a lot, and he he just does so many things and does them very well. Uh, so what's it like been from your perspective watching these younger guys starting to grow? Guys like Aronson and Fontana, and you know he's in his second you know full year now. Trust Austin Trusty, yeah. and I, I think I think Aronson and um, Fontana have done very well. Um, and I, I think their future is bright. Um, I think that Aronson took advantage of injuries, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if, if Fabian were healthy and Montero were healthy, Aronson looks like he's the odd man out, unless they played Marco uh, up top closer to Shabilko. But that's probably not even in the thought process now that you have an Andrew Vooten on board. So I think those, those guys have stepped up. I think um, some of the other guys that you're referencing – have taken a slight step back, but I think yeah. that's normal. 
I think when you talk trusty, I mean, Mark McKenzie's had a, a, a tough, tough year when you think about it. Uh, he had one injury, then he had a concussion, then he had another injury, goes to play for the under-20s, and, and then doesn't really play there. Um, you know, he's found it difficult in the second year. Uh, I think Real is in the same boat. I, I think that sometimes that happens. You know, you take one step back to go two steps forward. I, I think that the potential of those guys is still good and is still high, and I think the team still likes them. But I, I think that while I can talk more positively about Aronson and Fontana's contribution, I think the other guys have had uh, some difficulties in their second year. You talked a little bit about defense and a little bit about midfield. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the strike force. You mentioned Casper Shabilko a little bit, who I don't think any of us predicted would be the, the leading goal scorer on the team. Um, it's been a, a little bit of a, a letdown for Fafa Paco in terms of the goal scoring. Well, I think he, he brings uh, quite a bit to the table. I think we've yet to see what Andrew Vooten really brings. What do you make of the strike group? I, I think um, Shabilko has been a big plus. They liked him last year. They liked his footwork. Uh, he's not speedy, but he's got deceptive speed, I would say. You yeah, know, if does. a ball is in front of him, he'll get it. Uh, I think he's faster than people uh, give him credit got for. Those gazelle he's legs. a good <laughs> bit around the goal. I think that's been a, a bright spot. Uh, he was with the team last year, never even got on the 18, as I recall, in any, any game toward the end of the year. I know he didn't play, but I don't even think he got on the 18. No, he didn't. Um, Fafa is probably the one guy that didn't benefit by the formation yeah. change. He's probably better in a in a four two three one or four three three where he's playing out wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here he's had to play as more of a second striker or, or underneath to Shabilko, and I think that it took him a while to adjust to that. I think I think he might have been helped out more if Fabian were healthy because maybe those two would have linked up more earlier in the season. But that didn't happen. But I, I still think Fafa. Uh, is a terrific player to have, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, he can make an impact. And I think probably the guy that makes the biggest impact is the guy off the bench that we haven't talked about is Ilsenio, yeah. where when he starts, he's not as big of a factor, and that's the way it is with some players. When he comes off the bench, I don't think there's another player in this league that is as effective as Ilsenio coming off the bench and changing and impacting a game. How much fun as a broadcaster is it when they bring in Ilsenio? I think it's a blast, especially <laughs> for a home game, because you you hear the crowd. I don't even have to look at the bench to know he's up by the fourth official, because you can hear the crowd. Right. There's an anticipation. There's a buzz. And then when he comes in, he gets this loud ovation. And then his first touch, it's like crazy. You know, he, <laughs> he makes something happen. He nutmegs a player. He dances around the sideline. He beats two players, and then all of a sudden – you know, all the other players see that, they're in it, into it. The crowd sees it, they're into it. And, and the, other, the other team sees it too, and now they're on their back heels. You know, he just changes games. Uh, that Red Bulls game, uh, oh, that yeah. I, I was still in France for that. I, I watched the highlights. Uh, he just, he stole the game. That's all you could say. Yeah, yeah the game. absolutely. Yeah, one of the most amazing spectacles at P- at Talon or PPL Park or whatever. That was that moment when he came in and just, just turned everything on its ear. Yeah, it was something he else. changed the game. I mean, <coughs> when when that game is over, people are talking about him more so than the result of the game. I, I think yep. that's that's when you know you've got something. Yep. You know, when people are leaving, uh, headed to the parking lot, 
and and they're not just saying, wow, that was some game, or wow, they won this game or tied this game. It was like they're talking about, you know, how one player changed the game. I think it's El been Cino. collectively called the El Sino game yeah. in, in, yeah, yeah, in the yeah, media. Much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good for him that he's that he's able to do that. I mean, there's a role for players like that in this league. And, and people used to say before, you know, why isn't he starting? Why isn't he starting? You know, hey, when he starts, he's, he hasn't been as effective right. for whatever reason. You know, uh, whatever reason. Um, some guys are, are better at finishing a game. Some guys are better at starting. And I think that when he starts, there have been games where he started, where he's done well. But I, w- I would say on a consistent basis, that has not been the case. But coming off the bench, he always makes an impact. And I think when you start him, you lose that player off the bench that could right. change the game. And a lot of these games in MLS are very close where, you know, in the second half, it's so important to have a guy that could change the game, as we like to say. And, and he's, to me, he's the best in the league in that category and um, worth whatever they're paying him for that yeah. for that job. And that's why I think his he should always have a job with his team. Normally when, when players make some big money, and I'm not sure exactly what he's getting, but he's, you know, I'm sure he's doing okay. But normally you expect those players to start. You know, he's one of those guys where, you know, somebody would say, you know, it's a lot of money for somebody coming off the bench, but it's well worth it. Worth every penny. Absolutely. Uh, JP, always a pleasure to have you on. Look forward to hearing you on the call this weekend. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks JP. Uh, always always the best, JP. Just All class. Great, great guy to talk to and, you know. You know, we didn't get into it too much, but you know, it's a heck of a career he's had. Yeah, you know, we were talking. You know, and just, we were just. I mean, and I didn't. We, we we were talking about this before we came on. The amount of hockey that he's done yeah. is is really unbelievable. Right? Yeah, he was with you know when the Thrashers were still in Atlanta. He was he was their play by play guy yeah. for a bit, and you know did indoor soccer and you know done World Cups and you know seen the U.S. win. I think uh, three of the four of the ones that they've won. Yeah. No, un- unbelievable, and yeah. and just and a guy that always has a word for you when you run into him. Uh, you know, when I see him in the hallways at, at Talon, sure. is 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 one of the the nicest people yeah. in the organization. All right, let's uh, let's talk about something a little worse. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about that drubbing in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ugh. you know, it was the four nothing against Salt Lake, and there was, you know, the team they brought there wasn't great. You know, for injuries yeah. and, and and the like. You know, it wasn't a good result, obviously, but you, you, you kind of you could kind of reconcile it in your mind, and he put it away. But to go back on the road and do that again, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, and especially against the impact team that was a little bit on the skids. Yeah, um, you know, obviously they they got a little bit of a boost in this past game where they they welcome Piotti back, who's, yeah. who's clearly uh, ahead above the the rest of the, the team, and, <laughs> and then they got a little bump from the the new signing uh, the um, the winger that ended yeah, up scoring twice. Finish that I'm going to yeah, butcher no, his yeah, name yeah. if I try it. Um, but I, th- I thought he was very decent, um, and the the the, the glaring missing thing in that game was Montero whereas you know you just saw Montreal carve through them on the counter attack yeah. like you've not seen them carved this season he's indispensable him and, him and Wagner are both indispensable yeah I mean they absolutely are those are I mean Jim came on and he he did the gym thing and said you know all 11 guys and you know that was the problem we win as a team we lose as a team and when people were kind of pointing out what you know Ray's struggles 
you know, he said, yeah, Ray struggled, but so did, uh, so did, uh, you know, a lot of people. And he yeah. was absolutely right. I mean, yeah. both those losses were team efforts, but on the flip side of that, those two guys are guys you just absolutely need on the field every opportunity. Yeah, and it's it's certainly good news to hear that that Montero is back in, in training this week. Yeah. It, it seemed like he got a, a pretty good run in in training yesterday. Um, we haven't seen the injury report, and we won't see another one until tomorrow to know what his full availability is. And I, I think you'll probably see him listed as questionable. Um, right. And I think JP brings up the, the the question that you have about him is if he's healthy for the game on Sunday. And I think I think think it is a little bit of a boost that the game is on Sunday and on Saturday yeah. this week, where he gets an extra day of rest. <laughs> Is, is he a guy that you can run out for 60, 65 minutes, or is right. he a guy that you can run out for 30 minutes? And whatever he can give you, you want it. I do, Yeah, exactly. And I do think just having him back on the bench even yeah. to start just having one of your best players back in the fold I think helps the team mentally Yeah, for sure. Um, how you use him is kind of probably to be, to be determined, but he's a guy you need. And, yeah. you know, he just does things. He just intuitively does things that nobody else on the team does. I mean, like I, like I keep going back to, he is simultaneously a destroyer and very positive. Yeah, in in the same moment, mm-hmm. a lot of the times mm-hmm. where he could just he could turn the ball over, but instantly make it into something. Yeah, and, I think I've said it before. Is like if you want to to illustrate what a box to box midfielder yeah. can bring to the table, Jamiro Montero this season is that it, absolutely, and just changed the complexion of the team when he joined and. Gave other guys on the team a lot more freedom to kind of be themselves, where Bedoya can be that shuttler, that mm-hmm. that extra guy in the midfield to either work defensively or, or push push the offense, and just took so much defensive load off of Harris that mm-hmm. Harris could be Harris, and you could be able to sit and spread the ball and and things like that. And I think the the most important thing that you miss when Montero isn't there is that bite, yeah. is that. You know, he's he's not a dirty player by any means, and he doesn't even get called for that many fouls, but he will put in a tackle. Yep. He is feisty on and off the ball. He'll yeah. clip your heels. He'll he and he will he will foul. Yeah. Um and I thought that was definitely a thing that was missing against Montreal. Is sometimes when you're playing a team that is that good on the counterattack and a team that has a guy like Piotti that can run through you. Just kick him. You yeah. got to take him out. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's and Monte- just the reality of the sport. And Montero will do that. And Montero, you, have, you have to take a yellow card here and there. Or Montero would deny a guy like Piotti the ball. Yeah, because he'll he'll just be in his in his back pocket the whole game, and, and just just snapping at his ankles the whole game. Where Piotti Piotti's going to get the ball because he's that good of a player and he'll get his chances. But when you have Montero out there, you're limiting him. Yeah, a lot, and he you you know that. That would be his. That would have been his assignment. Was yeah, you you know where Piatti is all Piatti is all the time, and you were, you know, he cannot get a clean touch. Yeah, I just there was a physical presence missing in that midfield. You know, yeah. I think Bedoya is the only other player that really kind of offers that. You don't see Harris throw in a tackle. No. That's not really his game. Uh, Aronson has really struggled with the physical part of adapting to MLS. Uh, Fabian is not a good defensive player. Um, and no, that's no. not what you've brought him here for. No, no, no. no. I mean, uh, so I, I think when Montero isn't there, that that is a huge thing. That and someone might need to step up and, and take that role on. You know, we talk about Harris not being that. Maybe he has to be that if Montero is yeah. there. Maybe uh, you know Aronson's going to have to get stuck in a little bit more. Maybe take a uh, you know a tactical foul here and there for for hauling somebody down. 
I'm Matt Leon, sports reporter and anchor here at KYW News Radio. Talking to athletes, coaches, people in Philly sports every day, you find out they have incredible stories to tell. So I started a podcast, a weekly conversation with someone you should know more about. It's called One on One with Matt Leon. Subscribe now wherever you listen. Let's, let's talk about uh, Fabian Biz. I think the Chicago games probably was his best game so far. Yeah, I thought. And and you can see, and you didn't see it enough, but you can see when he pushed up and was involved, what he could give you. Especially, there was a couple times where he had the ball with a, kind of a full steam and was running at the defense. And, you know, you, you saw them drop back. You saw, you know, they have to respect them. And you saw that respect. And you saw the room other guys get. Or, he, or you know, when other guys have the ball, when he pushes up and is an option and, he makes defenses worry. I mean, he's, you know, that's what you need him to do. And I don't think his fitness is quite sharp enough yet. It's, t- it's tough talking about that it being August now that he's yeah. not fit yet. But, you know, he's had just such a stop start, mm-hmm. you know, season. But, you, you know, and the finish on the, on the, on the goal he had was great. Mm-hmm. And he, 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 you know, that's in burst, you saw why they brought him here in that game. I think that he, just had that ability to push for when he's involved and pushing forward and is either on the ball or an option for other guys, it just made the team that much better. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the two four, nothing drubbings where you've, you've seen less of yeah. the good things that he, he brings to the, the table. I think, you know, when teams do sit a little deeper, um, which Montreal and, and Salt Lake, I mean, Montreal kind of plays like that all the time, but Salt Lake was, was able to do it being that they were <laughs> in the lead for most of that game. Um, that he drops too deep to get the ball, yeah. um, and and that is, I think that's it's a systematic problem from a couple of places. I think it's him trying to get himself involved in games where the the team is struggling and that they they have ten guys that are behind the ball with the defense. Um, but I also think that's there's there's still a little lack of chemistry yeah. between the midfield uh, between Fabian and the strikers because a lot of them they just haven't spent that much time yeah. together. It's a real style of play thing with him because he's he's a guy that wants the ball, move it, move in the space, get get the ball, move it, move wide, get the ball, move it, move forward, and you got to kind of know where everybody else what everybody else is doing when you're doing that. Yeah. He's not the guy that's going to put his foot on the ball and kind of dictate pace that way. So. You know, it, it's tough. It, 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 and when he drops off, you know, Casper's not as involved because he's not getting balls, you know, kind of hit into him. And so that's that. It, it kind of it's kind of a chain reaction when he's pulling back that deep. And then maybe with Montero back, he won't have to. Where Montero's the ball winner, Montero's the guy that can kind of get it and nick it forward quick. Oh, quick. Where they could where. They could get the ball in better spots. Like yeah. they're, they're getting it, maybe they could win the ball around the center circle instead of like deeper in their own end, where they got to start. You know. I, I mean, I think that you know the the argument is that Montero on the left, Bedoya on the right, Madunian in a little deeper, and then Fabian as the the number ten is the starting midfielder, starting midfield that you'd like to see in a four four two. How many minutes have that midfield oh. played together this season? <laughs> Far too few. Yeah. Far too few. So I, I mean, I think just, just the, the, uh, the chemistry between Montero and Fabian, is is probably not there yet either. Yeah. And I think that we'll all, I think that you'll see more from Fabian when Montero is available, and I, I think everybody does think that. Yeah. Um, but we we haven't seen much proof of yeah. that. That's yeah, exactly. going to be true. <laughs> 
Um, I think I think it'll be intriguing uh, against DC if if they can get on the field together for for thirty or sixty minutes. So, <laughs> you know, but they're still in first place. They're still in first place. There's still po- a lot of positive this team, mm-hmm. and we got Andrew Wooten. Do you think he makes his first start? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I was disappointed with the the way that the Montreal game went. That. Uh, you know, Vooten ended up getting, I think, close to 35, 40 minutes of time. Um, but he comes in in this three-striker formation, essentially, where you have Shabalko still on the field, you have Paco still on the field, you have Fabian. Um, so I, I was hoping to see more of what Vooten could bring to the table in that straight four four two. as maybe, uh, you know, you give Shabalko a little bit of a rest. He's played a lot of soccer. Um I, I, it's hard to say what you can see out of Wooten. You know, you saw him finish a, a nice goal against Salt Lake that eventually gets chalked off for the ball being out of play. Right. Um, so you know he has a bit of a finish on him, but you haven't seen right. a lot of what he can bring to the table in terms of game time yet. Does he get a start in DC? I don't know. You know, I <laughs> and who do who do you rest? Do you rest Fafa or do you rest Casper? Oh, uh, it's a good question. Um, you think there's a little bit of redundancy with Shabalko and, and Vooten up top? They're yeah, both kind of bigger players. Big guys on the more side. I mean, I think Shabalko probably could play off him just because he has a good footwork and he's, yeah. he's you know, like JP said, the, the, the deceptively quick. Yeah. So maybe he could play a little deeper and play off of him, but. I think it would be intriguing, too. I mean, those are that's a big forward line. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be difficult to deal with. Um, the union has not been especially dangerous throwing balls into the box and no, for headers outside of Shabalko. Big, big four line and two, you know, not just two kind of lunks, two guys that no, are two pretty, guys, and, yeah, and two guys athletic. play with their feet. Yeah, so I, I, it could be interesting. Yeah, I'd like to see him start because I just want to see what he can do. Yeah, I agree from 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 the opening gun. Yeah, you know, and you know, just, you, you've seen him in two situations where the team is yeah pretty much. Where the game is over, right, right, where he can like really affect the game for sixty, seventy minutes, yeah. you know, and then maybe you do the change of pace. Uh, Mark McKenzie back in the fold. Uh yeah. Uh, Steele is playing as we're recording this. Uh, I don't know how the game is going, but uh, he was not involved with Steele today, so that probably means that he'll be at least in the eighteen right. uh, in DC on Sunday. Um, you'd like to see that. As JP mentioned, it's been a tough year for him. He had a yeah. couple of injuries. He had a surgery. Um, from all accounts, he's he seemingly struggled with that second-year thing that yeah. affects union players for some <laughs> reason, particularly defenders. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think, and particularly in a season where, you know, you've seen some pretty good play out of Jack Elliott. You've seen Austin Trusty regress a little bit. Um, yeah. So you wonder if Mark is available for a start. Yeah, I mean, maybe it might be good to give Austin a little perspective. Yeah, I mean, you do have Claude too, and he's played well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I th- in spots. Yeah, yeah, I think he's been very good. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't know what it is with this back line. You know, I think um, Elliot was having a best eleven type season up until three or four weeks ago, yeah. and and he really struggled uh, in Salt Lake, and he definitely struggled against Montreal. Um, Austin been frustrating because um, he was almost unplayable last year yeah. in certain ways that he he won almost every header that came his way um, he it's, stepped at the right times it just it's felt it, off. it's just yeah I think he's just not reading things well I think that and he's getting caught and I think there is a difference between playing next to Kai Wagner and playing next to Ray Gaddis too yeah. like like last year um, whereas 
you know, obviously we're very high on Kai Wagner and particularly the things that he brings to the team offensively uh, as the left back. Um, but he is certainly further afield, upfield. Yeah. Um, he is not retreating back and it's not the defensive player that, that Ray Gaddis was last year. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's definitely takes an adjustment where he has like also may have a little more ground. He's got to cover. He's got to cover that, that fullback run a little more and stuff like that. We, we talked a little bit about Ray Gaddis' struggles on against Montreal. Um, you signed R.J. Allen um, as a little bit of cover because you thought Mbizo would be out for maybe yeah. a little longer than he is. Mbizo starting for for Bethlehem today, which is really good to see. He thinks he'll thinking he'll be back in the fold really soon for the the, the, the first team. Um, how you you signed him as a professional soccer player? <laughs> Ray had maybe his worst game in a Union shirt last week. Is it time to give Allen a run out against DC? <sighs> I think about it at least. I mean, you ha- at least you have an option. Do you think that Jim Curtin is thinking about it? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't unless unless Ray's hurt. Yeah. I don't. I agree. He's he's not. You know, he Ray's a guy he likes a lot, and Jim gets a little ton of vision with some players sometimes. I think, mm-hmm. and, and and I think uh, Ray might be one of those guys because he's a veteran guy now. Mm-hmm. And, but, and I think you see it with those type of players too. But you, think I, you go back to CJ Sapong. Yeah. But I think I, I, I said it to you in a text that Ray's supposed to be your veteran, calming influence on the defense now. Ray's not a kid anymore. I mean, he's logged a lot of MLS time under his belt, and he's kind of the, you know, when he's kind of the elder statesman on that defense. And when he's out there, you know, Fabinho notwithstanding, um, so he can't be the guy that's killing you yeah. when he's supposed to be the guy that's like he's out there for his defense for his presence for all that stuff and when, when he's not doing that he's he's killing you yeah I, I don't know i mean i said it when i did the player ratings for philly soccer pages this week that uh i i thought he was poor enough against montreal that why not start rj Allen? yeah uh, yeah I, and i i don't disagree i mean you talk about a guy that might need a little perspective and <laughs> You know, it, it's it's the Brian Carroll disease that, you know, every, like, his last two years, Brian Carroll's like, you know, we're always like, well, we didn't expect to play Brian this much, but we kind of have to. They got themselves stuck with with, uh, with Ray by trading Keegan, and they flipped that money into a lot of good things, and that's fine. But, you know, Mbizo wasn't, I think, quite where he needed to be developmental-wise mm-hmm. or quite where they expected him to be. Then he gets hurt, you know, and, and it's, you know, you're playing right. Yeah. 80%, you know, 85% of the games now or more. Yeah. And like you said, this Allen guy, I, I don't know too much about him. And I think he was kicking it, get around the NPSL mm-hmm. when they signed him. But where, where was he? He was in Orlando. Yeah, he in Orlando and he played for uh, NYCFC. All right. You know, he's played in MLS. He, he's, he's an got MLS, some experience. He's, he's an MLS player and, you know, you, you, you signed him. You're paying him money. Might as well see what he can do for you. Yeah. If he's a guy that you think he contribute, you yeah. know, down the road a little bit. But again, unless like Ray's legs falling off, I, I don't, don't see it either. Yeah, I don't see it. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that was depressing. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, well, what do we think of Blake right now? I think he was really disappointing against Montreal. I think he probably uh, could have done a little better on two of the four. Right. Um, it, and I said this in the player ratings too. It, it's hard 
to to grade him in that game, um, though Montreal did score in four of six shots, which right. is not a good ratio. No. Um, the second goal, particularly for Montreal, uh, Blake gets beat on the near post, which uh, I think most goalkeepers will always be disappointed in. And the thing about Blake has been for the last couple of seasons is that he makes some saves that he doesn't have any business making. Yeah. And he's not done that this year. I think, you know, the, there's always been questions about his distribution, which I think has actually been pretty pretty decent this year. Yeah. Um, but the shot stopping has been less impressive than we've seen in, in, in previous seasons. There's been a lot fewer of those, like, oh, my God, saves. From yeah. Him. Like, where, like you said, where he, he would, especially, I think, last year, I mean, he would just keep keep him in games yeah. a lot. And, and, and you know, they've been so good that he hasn't needed to do that, maybe. Mm-hmm. So maybe that, that's, you know, they've been, they've been so good for stretches that, you know, that's, it's a product of that, that, you know, they're, they keep the ball up higher. Now they don't. You know they're they're not caught in bad spots anymore, so they're, you know they're not giving up maybe as many chances. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to say he's starting to grasp. Is like this is kind of prime time for a goalkeeper. He's like twenty eight, twenty nine now. I think this is like you know where you want to be as a goalkeeper. I mean they always kind of bloom late, you know historically. Yeah, and I think this is like kind of the he's kind of in the sweet spot for his career right now. So I don't I don't think he's going backwards, but. It, you know, he just he hasn't felt as special as he's felt. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so let's let's prediction for this weekend, and then I want to ask another prediction question about uh, some of the rest of August. Two one DC. Two one DC. Yeah, um, I just think they're they're good down there, and I think they're you know, and Jim said it. You need to have a target on their back, and teams get up to play. And, you could never say that years past that teams get up to play the union. Yeah. Teams are getting up to play yeah, they them. Are. And, you know, this is a nominal rivalry. DC wants to climb up the table. Uh, I, you know, and, I they, think and, that's they, probably- and they've been, you know, the last two games on the road, they've been abject. Yeah. And one of those games was a conference, you know, a conference game. So yeah. it's tough for me to predict a win on the road right now. Fair enough. Um, I think. They might squeak out a draw, um, so I'm going to say one-one. Okay. Um, I just I think you get Montero back in the fold. Um, yeah. You're coming off of two consecutive four-nothing losses. I think there's enough pride in that that group that you, you, they, would, they respond would, in a way that they can at least you would hope grab so. a point. And I think they'll play better, and I think they'll manage. Like they may lose, but I think they'll manage the situation better than they did in the last two road games. Yeah. But but I think DC just may come out and want it a little more. Um. Five games in August, yeah. starting on Sunday. So you have you're away to DC, right? Then home against Houston, right? And then away to Chicago, home against DC, and then home against Atlanta. It's a very tough schedule. How many points do you think you can get out of that five? Five, so it's fifteen available. Fifteen, thank you. Because I don't do math. <laughs> um, three at home. Three of those games. Have- you have three, three out of five at home. Right. No, two at home. No, two at home. Yeah. No, three at home. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Atlanta at home, D.C. at it's home. It's a work in progress Houston here on the show. <laughs> we, we really I'll say optimistically they, they could get 10 of those yeah, I points. Think 10 I would think, be really nice. I think 10 first is, place team should get 10 of those 10, points. 10 is the ceiling. I think you should beat Chicago on the road. Yeah, even. Chicago's um, not. You should good. beat DC at home. You should beat Houston at home. Yeah, 
Um, Atlanta at home is, I think, one of the games that I'm most looking forward to. You got two weeks in a row. That's a real test. Yeah, I think Atlanta's, you know, kind of nipping at their heels. It'll be interesting to they, see where the two teams they are. They don't play Atlanta poorly. I mean, they play Atlanta. Actually, it's weird because I think they play Atlanta better on the road for some strange reason. Yeah, they didn't but, play them well last year in, uh, in, at home. in Philly. Yeah. And yeah. it's in that, that red card game, I thought they fought till the end. They did. And they, they you know, which was. And they you know, spiked out a result down there earlier this yeah. season. So, I mean. And, uh, and Atlanta is not the, the Atlanta of last season. You know, those fans are hilarious. <laughs> they're absolutely. They're like protesting and. Burning an effigy. It's like, my God. <laughs> in second place? Yeah, they're like in second I think, place. I think Chicago Fire, uh, Philadelphia Union, New England Revolution fans all have some words for Atlanta. Seriously. <laughs> and I got no love for Frank DeBoer. I think he's kind of come in there and, you know, uh, not I really. I think they've regressed. I think they, oh, they have regressed and they shouldn't have. I mean, yeah. who, who they lose? They, uh, Amiri went to uh, 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 Newcastle, but they still had a lot of talent on that team. And they, they still had a lot of, you know, ability. You should, like, a manager should just go in there and have that much talent and be like, all right, let's kind of keep this thing going. And he hasn't quite done that. I mean, they had the rough start to kind of getting back to it. Because I think, again, I think talent rolls out, and I think they have enough of, of it to just kind of take care of themselves. But, but my God, <laughs> those fans are, they're just adorable. Yeah, they're just it's, hilarious. It's, <laughs> it, is, it is comical. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I think that's of all those games, that's the biggest test because that could be, depending how it all shakes out, they they, they could be kind of nipping you for first place by that point. Yeah, and that could, like I say, your season hinges on it, but kind of where you end up hinges on it. And yeah. and if you want to kind of keep them at, at arm's length, yeah, that's 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 a big test. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fascinating month, um, and you have some some tough games in September too. I'm really excited yeah. to see LAFC come through here. Yes, uh, you know you have the chance for that to be top of the East versus top of the West, um, depending on how how things go for the Union. Uh, I don't see LAFC faltering and coming down anywhere off the, the no, top of the no, they're, Western Conference. Um, they're, they're I mean, they lost in another. They lost to the Galaxy, but they're like the Harlem Globetrotters yeah. though, when they want to be when, when they're clicking. Man, they they. Yeah, and, they, and they've won some tough games recently too. <laughs> yeah. they, they went into a, a three three uh, game in a week against uh, Houston, yeah. and, and got a result there with half of their starters missing. They're they're playing on another level, right? So I, I'm excited to see them come to Philadelphia oh, for next sure. month. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> um, all right, so we wrap it up on that. I think. Uh, English Championship starts on Saturday. Hey, Reading versus Sheffield Wednesday. I know, I know you guys are excited. Hey, English Championships a hell of a league. It is. It, it, it's you know a lot of teams just kind of grinding and killing each other, and it's a long season. And you know it's 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 it's, it's interesting to me. And I was talking to some friends about this uh, at the seven hundred a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I you know I picked Reading fifteen years ago when <laughs> when you could first start watching the English Premier League. Yeah. Uh, in, in the states, and it was kind of a random thing. They had just been promoted for the first time. They right. had two Americans on the team, um, and I I wanted to watch and root for somebody. Yeah. And uh, I saw some people criticizing the idea of picking a team from England to root for uh, as an American. And I don't you just do whatever you want. Yeah, and I, and I understand why you know half of Americans are United fans or Arsenal fans because those were the teams that you could name from the English right, Premier League right. for a long time. You know there was there wasn't people watching Leicester every week. Right, right. Um, but you know when I chose to follow Reading and I stuck with it, it's it's been 
it's been fun to watch what happens in the rest of the the English soccer league. Yeah. You know, I, I follow the championship more than most Americans do probably, and it, it is a really fascinating league. It is, and I think you win a couple of games, you go up nine or ten points. No places. Nobody big came down, really. Fulham. Well, Fulham, and they they were a pretty good championship team, but I mean, they did not equate themselves well in the, no, the, the prem. But I think it's going to be pretty wide open for for because you'd have like Newcastle kicking around, you'd have West Ham yeah. kicking around, um, and Villa and Villa went back up, mm-hmm. so they're out of out of the mix. So Villa's back in the prem. So I think it's probably a lot more wide open. I mean, you follow a lot closer than I do, you yeah. Do, but I think it'll be a lot more wide open than it's been in the last couple of years. I think a lot of people are tipping Leeds to get promoted this year. Um, yeah, they were one of the best teams in the league yeah, last they, they, year they and, kind of and really capitulated in the, the yeah, playoffs. Seriously, faltered towards the end, which I'm never sad about because I don't <laughs> like Leeds. Dirty, dirty Leeds. Yeah. Um. So, but I think that they are probably still one of the best teams yeah. in in the league, and I would probably tip them to be promoted this year. Yeah. And particularly, I think they have the best coach and the fact that they they kept. Bielsla. Yeah, and he's just you know fascinating guy. <laughs> but it, it's been interesting to me to watch like championship table predictions come out, and I, I've probably looked at thirty different ones on Twitter. And I think I've seen anybody pick, predict Reading to finish like twenty second or twenty third, all the way up to like fourth or fifth. Wow! <laughs> so it's like I, I don't think that we'll be pushing for the playoff spots. I think Reading will be pretty happy to be routinely in the middle of the table. I, I, I think you want safety, and then you kind of build off of that. Yeah. You don't want to be in another. Um, relegation slog. I, I do think Fulham has basically a pretty similar team that they had when they went up two seasons ago. Um, I think they'll probably be towards the, the top of the table there. Um, you know, and I think you, you do have some, some yo-yo teams. I think West Brom is back yeah. down again. Um, yeah. I don't think Huddersfield will uh, be... I, I, I think their window kind of closed a bit. I, I think so, too. Um, and Huddersfield are what they are. They, they were not going to invest a lot in that team. Right. They stuck with the group that they had. Um, you know, I think uh, Wagner got the most out of that group when he was there. He was like, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm gone now. He's with Schalke. Yeah, and, yeah, it's um, a good spot for him. Yeah, coaching um, uh, Weston McKenney. Yeah, true. Um, so <clears throat> it's going to be interesting. I, I'm excited for it to start again. Yeah, and you know, the Prem's right around the corner. Um, Two weeks from the Prem. Yeah, you know, excited for Arsenal, Arsenal signed this year? A, signed a Pepe. Signed a Pepe. They still have a lousy defense, but hey, they're they're going to win every game ten four. <laughs> it's always fun. <laughs> uh yeah, I'm excited. I'm kind of gearing. I'm starting to finally kind of gear up for it yeah. because you know just the way they ended the season wasn't great. Yeah. You know, with the with the uh, uh, Europa League final against mm-hmm. Chelsea and the, kind of all your eggs were in that basket. Yeah. And, and, and you, you 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 know they just did not do well. Speaking of Chelsea, did you, did you see Pulisic score yes. twice yesterday? Yes. And two it, really it, nice. It, goals. It's so bittersweet because I want him to do well, but he's playing for Chelsea. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, never been one of my favorite. Like I want teams. him to get twenty goals, and I want them to get relegated. Basically, <laughs> so I kind of want, <laughs> that's kind of how I, I think feel. The but. latter is unlikely. I, I'd certainly love to see him bang in goals in the Premier League. Yeah, I think I'll, it's exciting to have a, an American player as like a star quantity type right. thing in the Premier League. Well, that's We've the never thing. had that. That's the thing. He has. It's it's been a long time. I mean, McBride was kind of on the edge of that, but I don't think he was at this level where he's just they're, they're talking about Pulisic kind of in kind of such halty terms that he's you know has that talent, he has that ability to come in and play for a big Premier League team and you know change games. And he's had uh, uh, Champions League experience, so mm-hmm. he's not coming. He's not coming in fresh with that. I mean, he's coming in with with that under his belt and. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to have, you know, 
a guy, you know, your best player in the Premier League not be a, not be a goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not, disparag- not disparaging guys like Tim Howard and, no. and Mark Sandman and all no. that, but you know, to have a field player, not only a, 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 you know an offense that could be an offensive force. Yeah, and I think playing for a guy like Lamport, I think will help him. Yeah, it should it, be interesting. Yeah, you know, because I don't, I, you know. And the prem stuff is it's such a win now league, but you know playing for Lampard, who's you know the best one of the best midfielders ever to play, and playing kind of a similar way, I think he's he's yeah he can't do anything but learn from that yeah yeah you know, so then we'll wrap it up on that yeah uh, I want to thank JP Dalcamer you know always always great to talk always to great him. always classy always fun yep. to talk to Absolutely. and uh, you know we'll uh, catch you next week. <laughs>